Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Cleopatra is the executive director of the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. She's a scientist and university professor who pioneered the field of fertility biohacking and the concept of super babies. Yes, I said super babies. She's received nearly three million in grant funding from multiple arms of the National Institute of Health, the National Science Foundation, the National Institute of Standards Technology, and private foundations, including the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And she's been cited in over 1,000 scientific studies in the past five years alone. She's the author of the forthcoming book detailing her revolutionary at-home conceiving system, the Primemester Protocol, great name. So today, yes, you probably guessed right, we're going to be talking all things fertility and babies. Dr. Cleopatra, welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here, Jason. So great to have you here. Such an important topic, uh, fertility. So how would you describe the state of fertility today? It's a great question, Jason. Fertility today is on the decline. That's how I would summarize it but there are things that we can do about it. So about one in eight couples is diagnosed with quote unquote infertility. And I'll explain a little bit what I mean about quote unquote later, but up to 16% of couples seek some form of fertility treatment, which means that even more couples then those who are being diagnosed as quote unquote infertile are actually receiving some form of fertility treatment. And we we know that male fertility, for example, has declined by more than 50% in the past four decades. And we have seen a parallel process in female fertility. Wow. So what do you think is driving this? Such a great question. So we can only speculate at this point. We don't entirely know what accounts for these patterns, but I can summarize the answer as probably having to do with modern life. So what I mean by modern life are things like the kinds of foods that we're eating, eating packaged foods, the way that we're sleeping, the way that we're moving or not moving, living a more sedentary life interacting with devices more and interacting with nature less, interacting with other people face-to-face less, uh, disruptions in our sleep, the types of stress that we are exposed to today, which are what we call chronic stressors. So they're the kinds of stress that activate our stress response, but that don't go away. And our body's stress response was conditioned. It evolved to deal with the kinds of stressors that come up and then they pass really quickly. And so this mismatch between the environment in which our fertility evolved and the environment in which we live today seems to be what is driving these changes in both male and female fertility. So you mentioned mismatch and my head goes to the the mismatch we see in, in the way people approach fertility. So on one hand, there's a very conventional Western medicine approach to fertility. On the other hand, there's a more holistic Eastern approach to fertility. And I'm curious, in your opinion, where's the common ground between Western and Eastern here? That's such a great question. In my mind, they're really complementary. You, you can't fully 
treat fertility and take care of the biological clock without both of them. So we have all of these technological advances in the form of IVF, for example, but we know from the scientific literature that are, there are a number of individual level modifiable factors that affect whether someone will be more or less likely to succeed in an intervention like IVF, for example. So those individual level factors are things that the individual alone can address. Nobody else can address them for you. So at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute, we teach about the fertility triangle, or you can think of it as a fertility pyramid. And what we always say is that you can't outsource your fertility triangle. You can, you can utilize medical advances and IVF and other kinds of intervention, but the work is still yours to do in the trimester to ensure that you'll be likely to succeed in IVF and other kinds of intervention. So can you walk us through the triangle? Yes. Okay. The triangle. So if you think about the food pyramid, for example, you can imagine the triangle having multiple levels within it. So our triangle has five levels. At the very base is the psychosexual level, then bioecological, then neuroimmunological, and then the social and cultural levels. So at the psychosexual level, this we consider this the base of the fertility triangle. And this is a prime example of how you can't you can't outsource this part of your fertility triangle. So one of the things that we're focused on here is our a foundational mantra, which is as many moments of every day as possible, step out of stress, step out of emergency, step out of trauma and into peace and pleasure. And it might sound like peace and pleasure are nice things to have. They're optional. What do they have to do with fertility? But the reality is that we need to treat pleasure as if our fertility depends on it because it does. So the brain and the body will not allow us to easily get or stay pregnant when they perceive that there is stress, that there's emergency, that there's danger. And so when we are, we are in our fight or flight mode, if we're living that way because we're under chronic stress, whether it has to do with deadlines or traffic or financial concerns or ups and downs in our romantic relationship or just even our own internal self-talk, what's happening is that reproduction is being put on the back burner because our brain and our body are prioritizing our safety and our survival. That's what they will do every single time. So we want to send the message to the brain and to the body that it is safe to have a baby, that it is safe to be in the parasympathetic nervous system, that it's safe to allocate resources to getting pregnant and staying pregnant and growing a human. That, that requires a lot of resources to do. So that's one of the things that we're focused on at the psychosexual level. Another thing that we teach about here is orgasm. And so we know, we know male orgasm is necessary for getting pregnant, but we, we think of female orgasm as being optional for pregnancy, and it is. However, the scientific data show that women who have orgasms get pregnant more quickly. And what we think happens is that the orgasms create these uterine contractions that facilitate the very long and hard journey that the sperm have to make to reach the egg. Interesting. So 
In terms of, you mentioned the science, and it's, it, what, what I love, you, you have this great approach, blending Eastern and Western, very mind, buddy, green. And so the, yeah. the, the pyramid's a little bit more on the Eastern side. And on the Western side, mm-hmm. something you've talked about, epigenetics, we're big belief, believers of epigenetics mm-hmm. here at Mind, Buddy, Green. Can you just yeah. explain that concept to our audience and how it relates to fertility, which I think is super interesting? Absolutely. Epigenetics is really the way of the future when it comes to our mental and physical health and our reproductive health, even more specifically. So epigenetics literally means above genetics. And it is a process whereby we either activate or suppress our genes through how we live, through what we think, what we consume, what we experience, how we interact with nature and with other beings. And we know that fertility is an epigenetic process. So let me explain what I mean by this exactly. What I mean by this is that fertility is a system. It's not a thing. It's not located in the ovaries or the uterus alone. It is a complex network or system. And it is not a fixed system. It is plastic. Like there's plasticity in the brain, there's plasticity in our reproductive system and our fertility. And that is why fertility is an epigenetic process. And so even if we're seeing signs of reproductive aging, or we are having specific fertility challenges, we've been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis, or low anti-malarian hormone, which can be an indicator of ovarian reserve, or how basically people think of it as how many eggs you have left. Even if we're seeing these signs of fertility challenges, it doesn't mean that there's nothing that we can do to reverse them. So by working at each of these levels at the fertility triangle, we can create epigenetic change that will help to reverse reproductive aging and ignite our fertility and overcome the symptoms and the root causes of these specific fertility challenges that are so common in Western society today. Well, you mentioned reversing challenges and i think of look, look it, it's a it's a tough process for so many and i think that sometimes you know there's there's the label and the word mm-hmm. infertile and it can be extraordinarily dangerous can you talk about that yes so as i was mentioning we have a lot of people who are being diagnosed with infertility And the issue with the diagnosis of infertility, just like any other diagnosis, you can compare it to a diagnosis of depression or MS. What's important about these diagnoses is that they're a necessary evil of our healthcare system. They allow us to mobilize resources, to mobilize testing and treatment so that insurance will cover it. That's really where diagnoses came from. That's that's why we need them in the medical system. But of course, they come with downsides because once you get diagnosed as infertile or you get diagnosed as depressed, it becomes a part of your identity. And when something becomes a part of our identity, it's much harder to overcome. And so I always like to teach people about a statistic that not many people know. And it's called, it's what we call in science, 
involuntary childlessness. And how it is defined is the number of married couples between the ages of 15 and 49. And I know it seems crazy to be talking about married couples age 15, but remember, this is a statistic that is measured throughout the world, meaning that in other countries, the norms around when it's a, the right time to get married are very different. So among married couples between the ages of 15 and 49, the number of couples who don't have children and it is not by choice, it's involuntary, involuntary is approximately 3%. And we believe that this number is what most closely approximates true quote unquote sterility or true infertility in the human being. So all of these numbers about one in eight couples or 16% of couples seeking some form of fertility treatment, these, these instances are largely about conditions of what we call subfertility. These people are not truly sterile. They're not truly infertile because if they were truly sterile or truly infertile, they would not be able to get pregnant no matter what. And so it's a very, very small percentage of the human population that is truly or who is truly infertile. And so I always say, the chances that you are one of those people are so small, even if you've received that diagnosis, I don't want you to identify with that diagnosis. I don't want you to let that become a part of who you are. So in your estimation, there are probably a lot of people walking around right now who were given that diagnosis and, and it's a devastating diagnosis and it, it, it's not accurate and it's, it's a, that's a problem. 100%. It is not accurate. And it is it is devastating because think about it. The mind is a really powerful thing. And what we believe to be true for us and what we believe to be true for our body and for our life determines a lot of what happens to us. And so having that belief in a diagnosis can really change what you believe to be possible for your own body. And so one of the first things that we work on at the psychosexual level of the fertility triangle is changing those beliefs about what's possible for our bodies and changing those beliefs, whether we're in our 20s or 30s or 40s. So we have a lot of women who listen to this program uh, and I'm sure that there are people listening saying, okay, this is really interesting, but you know, I I'm not ready yet. Maybe I haven't found the right person or I'm just busy or just I I'm not ready. But what do I need to know five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it may be when I am ready? So what, what do women need to know right now so that they can have babies later on in life at that right time? Such a good question. So I wanted for the women who are listening, thinking about their future, I want to teach them about blind fertility syndrome, which is this idea that we can just focus on every other part of our lives and ignore our fertility and then blindly expect that it will be there for us when we're ready for it. And we get this message from society in both spoken and unspoken forms. And this is really harmful because our fertility can be there for us, but it's much more likely to be there for us if we pay attention to it, if we take care of it, and if we plan for it, just like anything else. 
in this world. So what I want women to know is if they've had this belief that it will just be there for them, that number one, it's, it's normal that they would have that belief because that's what society would have us believe. And I don't want them to wake up one day and find that that message wasn't accurate for them. So what's important to know is that there are ways to manage your fertility, which is what most people are focused on until they're ready to have children. They're, they don't, they don't want to pay attention to their fertility. They just want to not get pregnant. So there are ways to prevent pregnancy, to manage fertility that don't harm or erode fertility, that allow us to learn about our, our bodies, our cycles, so that when we're ready to get pregnant, we know so much about our fertility and our fertile window and our signs and symptoms that we can take advantage of that very easily and we can take care of it. And what should men do? What should men do? Because this so, is a problem for men too, you know. <laughs> 100%. And I'm so glad you said that, Jason, because I feel like it's very common in Western societies and every society that I'm aware of throughout the world, and I've studied many different groups of people, that when there's a fertility challenge present, it's automatically assumed that it originates in the woman, assuming it's a heterosexual couple. We don't have research on on other types of couples, same-sex couples, but in a heterosexual couple, it's it's almost always assumed that it's in the woman. So I actually want people to understand that fertility challenges are equally likely to reside in the male, the female, and at the couple level. And then there are about 10% that are unexplained. And we think some percentage of those 10% actually happen at the couple level as well. So what, what I mean by at the couple level is that the way the two people combine creates conditions of subfertility. So it might be that if they were paired with somebody else, they would never even know they were experiencing conditions of subfertility because the way they combine with this other person would just push them over that threshold and they would never experience fertility challenges. But in this particular combination, they are experiencing conditions of subfertility. So that's about 30% likely in the woman, 30% likely in the man, 30% likely at the couple level, and then 10% unexplained. So one of the things that both men and women can do to take care of their fertility for later is to just take incredible care of their health. So one of the underlying conditions that we know contributes to fertility challenges is obesity and things that accompany obesity commonly, like insulin resistance and blood issues with blood sugar regulation. So we talk about at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute, the fertile zone for BMI or body mass index, and that's approximately 19 to 25. If you're below that fertile zone of BMI or above that fertile zone of BMI, you are statistically more likely to experience difficulty getting pregnant and staying pregnant. And this is not just for the woman. This is for the man, too. And interestingly, we get a lot of people who come and to us and they live very healthy lives. They eat super clean. They're active. They're perplexed by the fact that they're having fertility challenges. And one really important thing to know is that there are some things that we do for our health in general that can actually undermine our fertility. So one of those things is overtraining, 
having really low body fat. So people who fall below the fertile zone in BMI are even more likely to have difficulty getting and staying pregnant than people who fall above the fertile zone. And that's for both men and women. So if you're somebody who you feel like you're taking incredible care of your health, you're eating so clean and you are, you're working out, I want you to remember that a, a low fat diet is, is, an aging diet and it's a reproductive aging diet because we need fat and we need cholesterol to make our hormones. So you mentioned diet, I have to ask, what what are some of your favorite foods? And I, and I understand we're all unique individuals, we're all different, you know, men and women and yes. we're unique. Uh, what are some of those foods that you generally recommend uh, to women and men who are interested in fertility? Like, you know, I've heard Brazil nuts, eggs, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Yes. So all both of those are great. Although anything that creates an immune response for somebody is going to undermine their fertility, because remember, one of the level of the levels of the triangle or the pyramid is the neuroimmunology level. And we're looking at both arms of the immune system, which is immunity, and which are immunity and autoimmunity. And people can have reactions to foods that you would never expect. I just, I do a battery of tests every year because I monitor my fertility very closely. I have a personal challenge to stay fertile until I'm 50 years old. I just turned 42 and I had an allergy to radishes, which is so random, but anything that you eat frequently, you're more likely to develop an allergy to. So eggs, eggs can be inflammatory and a lot of people have an immune response to them. So they're great if your immune system is not responding negatively to them. Uh, if they, if your immune system is responding negatively, then I wouldn't have them on the table. But the things that I love, so we we talk about nutritional gifts at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. And I know that sounds a little bit cute, but the point of it is that we want people to have a perspective shift and, and not feel like they're sacrificing what they want or sacrificing joy or fun in modifying the way that they're eating and what they're eating in service of their fertility. We want them to feel like it's such an incredible gift, luxurious gift that they give to themselves, that they get to eat this beautiful way that's nourishing their bodies right now and is creating the very best epigenetic foundation for their babies and their grandbabies, for their super babies. So the way we define super babies my clients are the ones who actually first started using that term. And I was resistant at first because I felt like it has inherent to it a social comparison. One baby is better than another baby. And I didn't like that idea at all. But what I did adopt was using your super baby, meaning if you get to have your super baby, you get to have the healthiest, happiest, brightest, most well-adjusted baby that you can possibly have given your genome and your epigenome and how it combines with the other person who's providing DNA for your baby. So that's what we talk about when we, when we're talking about super babies, that's what we're referring to very specifically. Such a great so, name. When I saw that, I was like, oh, I love this super baby. Let's talk about super baby. It's, it's like Harvey Karp's dream, the happiest kid in the block, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's true. And I, I love it too. It makes me feel so good. And it, it, like I said, it came about because my clients would say, you have super babies, you help us have super babies. And I really have taken it on as this is, you know, this is such a, a big part of our mission because we all 
want to give our children that unfair advantage in life, that they have the very best epigenetic foundation possible for their own mental and physical health, their own stress response, their own immune system, their digestive system, but also their own fertility and their own longevity. Our babies and grandbabies' fertility and longevity are being conditioned in the trimester, that time leading up to conception and in utero. So these are critical developmental phases that we really want to take advantage of and, and utilize to the full extent. And that's why it is such an important mission to me to make sure that everybody knows that they have the power to literally change the expression and quality of genes that they pass down to their children if they take advantage of the trimester. So you mentioned reproductive aging. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about how reproductive aging is linked to longevity? Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful and interesting. So I'm a tenured professor at USC and I have appointments in the Department of Children, Youth and Families, Department of Psychology, De Department of Psychology in the School of Aging. And people often ask me, how are you in the School of Aging? when you study the trimester and fertility and pregnancy. And the reality is that very few people understand the intimate ties between our fertility and our longevity. So there are studies that have shown that women who have children later on in life, for example, women who have children after the age of 33 are more likely to have a longer lifespan. So they're more likely to reach the age of 90 up to two times as likely to reach the age of 90 as women who finish having children before the age of 30. And part of what's happening there is that the same processes that are igniting our fertility and allowing us to preserve and extend our fertility for as long as possible are also allowing us to preserve and extend our lifespan and our health span. Wow. So does that go for men too, since I'm 45 and we have a three and a half year old and a one year old? Colin's That's 41. Awesome. So. That is so awesome. But do I get the benefits too? Do I, does Colleen just live to 90 or do I get to live to 90? I have a feeling you're both going to live to 90 plus. And <sighs> I don't think that we have data on this specifically in men. It's more commonly looked at in women. But I would imagine that if we looked at that, there would be a correlation as well. And so you mentioned this term, the prime mester, not trimester, prime mester. Can you explain yeah. that? Yes. The prime mester is a period of time that I want every person in the world to be familiar with. And it is the 120 plus days leading up to conception or to pregnancy. And it's this magical and powerful window of opportunity where we can ignite our fertility, overcome fertility challenges through the epigenetic changes and processes that we talked about earlier, but also lay the epigenetic foundation to have our super babies and our grandbabies, our super grandbabies. <laughs> So inter look, you're, you're a professor, you're on the cutting edge in terms of science and also have a holistic approach, which is what we love about you. And I'm curious, you know, in terms of science and studies out there, uh, it, it feels like it's a field that's getting more attention. What are you paying attention to? What's interesting right now? The thing that I'm paying most attention to right now is the microbiome and how the organisms living inside of our bodies, both the ones that we consider bad, bad bugs and good bugs, 
have their own DNA and that there are so many of them inside of our bodies that their genome may be as important as our own genome. So this is something that we are exploring right now to maximize our ability to ignite fertility and overcome fertility challenges through a focus on the microbiome. And we already work on that, but this is where I'm really, really paying attention right now. Wow. So microbiome influences fertility. 100%. In fact, at the bioecological level, which is the second level of the fertility pyramid or triangle, one of the primary things that we focus on there is digestion and digestion is the mother of fertility. It is the root of fertility. So do you anticipate a world uh, in a few years or maybe a few months, I don't know how fast the science is moving, where you're prescribing uh, a probiotic or kimchi or in terms of that process of trying to get pregnant, is that where we're headed? We are already doing that at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. So when we have someone who's having a lot of inflammation, who has evidence of immune problems, someone who we know is having issues with their microbiome because they have endometriosis and, and also polycystic ovarian syndrome. All of these things were focused on prebiotics and probiotics. So taking prebiotic formulas that, that feed the existing bugs and then probiotics, including cultured foods, kombucha, sauerkraut, kimchi, all of those things that can increase the, the healthy flora. Wow. So in terms of, I'm curious, when, when you see someone, how much is, uh, is it microbiome versus nutrition diet versus lifestyle? versus psychosexual if you like if you look i'm curious like you see people every day what are you seeing more of in, in getting to the the root cause what, what what are you seeing all of those are part of one whole and i think for most people all of those parts are relevant the extent to which they're relevant and important vary by individual and by by couple we see a lot of women who are older. And so they're coming with having been diagnosed with poor ovarian reserve. So either they don't have many eggs left or the quality of their eggs is poor in general. And so in this case, we are really, really focused on to the extent that it's possible for them reversing reproductive aging, allowing for the eggs that will be released in 120 plus days to be of the very best quality they possibly can. We do the same thing when it comes to sperm, but really all of, all of this is part of that picture. Digestion is almost always an issue. The other thing that's almost always an issue is the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenocortical axis, which is the body stress response system. And and orchestrates the balance of sex hormones and stress hormones in the body. And it's pretty much impossible to live a high driving, fast paced, stressful life and not see some imbalance in your hormones. You will almost always see that. And so we almost always have to address that with people. 
And so what's your message to someone listening who maybe is struggling, but you know, can't get to you and is somewhere else? Like what, what, what advice do you have to someone who, who's struggling right now in this process? My advice, if you're struggling in this process is number one, I want you to know that you're not alone, that there are people like me who have literally de dedicated our lives to solving these puzzles and constellations that people are facing in their fertility as men, as women, as couples. So you, you are not alone. I literally am obsessing every day about these issues and making new discoveries every day. And I'm not the only person out there doing that. So that's number one. And number two, I want you to know that if you have not yet addressed each of the levels of the fertility triangle, and therefore your full fertility system, there's still hope for you no matter what has happened in the past. We, I'll give you an example of a woman who has very fast progressing MS and she had six miscarriages within the span of two to three years. She did several rounds of IVF she was unsuccessful. She was told after those rounds of IVF by multiple IVF doctors that her she was only a candidate for IVF with an egg donor, that she would never have a biological child. She came to work with us at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. She primestered for, for four months, 120 days. She got pregnant on either the first or second cycle after primestering naturally had a perfect baby girl. When everything she heard from every direction was that there is no hope for you. So I want you to know, maybe, maybe this is not the norm. Maybe this can't be everyone's story, but if you still can muster the energy to go after your dream. And I believe if we have a dream to have something, whether it's a baby, whether it's a business, whether it's a book, whatever it is, that that thing belongs to us. I have three super babies. I have a dream to have a fourth. My husband, I'm still getting him on board. <laughs> but I, I know that because I still have that dream, that that baby is part of our family. And so I want to tell you, if if you have not addressed your full fertility triangle, there's still hope for you. And also you cannot outsource your fertility triangle. So don't completely relinquish the process to somebody else or some technology. That's not the way it works. I'm curious, my last question, like there are so many fertility clinics and special, they're, they're just everywhere. And I think there are so many parallels with, you know, functional medicine and, and, you know, as we think about family medicine and so forth, um, what like drives you nuts? It, you know, what, what I'm sure people come in after to see you when they've haven't been successful in, you know, a standard fertility clinic and not to say, look, there are a lot of great clinics out there and, and people have success every day. But but what do you see? I'm curious, which just drives you nuts. Like, I can't believe they're doing this. Like, yeah. or <laughs> I think. I think that what's really hard about what people experience at many fertility clinics, not all of them, obviously, we partner with, with some clinics and there are clinics out there doing a great job. And 
I think that what happens is that people feel like a number. They don't feel like a human. And they, when you feel like you're just a number to the person who's taking care of you, but this is the most important thing in the world to you, it feels so bad. And you don't, you don't feel heard. You don't feel seen. You don't feel held and you don't feel safe. And we know that a lack of feeling safe is not going to support our fertility and pregnancy goals. And the other thing is that I know it's really important. I'm a scientist. I always look at data. We constantly collect data. And so it's really important that fertility clinics often want to set expectations and will teach you about your statistical odds of being successful. And yet when we keep repeating it every single time we see that person, it's, it's probably not helpful. They already understand that at the age of 44, their odds of being successful in IVF or getting pregnant naturally based on the normal curve is very low, that their odds are very low. But what they need is to stay in the right place mentally and have faith. If they're going to go through the process, we don't want them to just go through the motions. We want them to believe in the possibility of their body. We want them to know that there are a certain percentage of people for whom this does work. And there's no reason this can't be you, especially if you've done the work going into it. And I think that's really important because it's, it's not, particularly useful to take someone through the process and have it be a deflating experience every single time they go in to, to check their follicle count and how their follicles are developing, etc. Dr. Cleopatra, thank you so much. We love all the work you are doing. And, and it, look, it, it is such, such an important topic and so many people struggle. Um, and it, we love your point of view. We love the way you're, you're tackling this important issue, which is heartbreaking for so many people. Uh, you know, whether you've been through it personally or you know someone, it, it's it's a it's such a it's a tough issue, and uh, it's heartbreaking for so many that the way uh, you know it's handled with, with fertility clinics. So, thank you. Thank you so much. I want to just say one last thing, which is that. People often ask me if I do this work because I had fertility challenges and amazingly fertility and babies has been the easiest thing in my life. And I'm so thankful for that. And I think it's largely because I've been doing this work for 24 years now. And yet I lost my own mother at birth and my mother was a beautiful young 27 year old woman who I have already outlived by 15 years and I feel like my life is just beginning. And so I have such a deep understanding of how when reproduction goes well, it is one of the most magical and beautiful experiences in life. And when it doesn't go well, it is so incredibly painful. And it's a kind of pain that can live on for generations if we don't intercept that. And so I want anyone who has been through this pain to know that what they want for themselves and for their families is possible for them. And I really believe that both for men and for women, but especially for women, getting to have both the family and the whole life that we want is an act of rebellion. And we are here to support your rebellion. Amen to that. Yes. Yeah.